me at the email on the screen or go to the Ministry Transformations page on the church website. So you'll probably have to go back to our website to uh, kind of put together all of these different learning opportunities and what you might do, right? But uh, we're doing our best to provide opportunities so that you can really ground yourself in the scriptures. We're starting a new series, The Elephant in the Room, and our intent is to ask the big questions, the big questions that keep people awake at night. We're going to start with the scriptures today. Uh, can we trust the scriptures? And we have a guest speaker, Dr. Mark Wessner, with us from MB Seminary. Mark, why don't you come on up? Mark, um, what can I say about Mark? Mark is the <laughs> president of the seminary. He's an associate professor there. He specializes in Old Testament and leadership. Uh, he's worked in the corporate world, taught at University of Northern British Columbia, um, was lead pastor at Westwood Community Church in Prince George for quite a while. He's done just about everything in life. Loves to run, yep. ultra-marathoner. Um, married to Jennifer, two daughters, and uh, loves to dive into the scriptures and talk about leadership and see how we put those two together, whether it be our daily lives, uh, church, marketplace, yeah, a lot could be said. I love this brother, and I'm thankful that he's here with us. Why don't we just give him a warm welcome? And uh, let me pray for you before we begin. Father, we just uh, thank you for this moment. Uh, this is a gift from you to be able to be in this room together to open the Word of God and to hear you speak to us through it and through our brother Mark. So I pray for your anointing on him. I pray for uh, conviction and clarity. I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would be ready to receive, and that your word would fall on fertile soil today, that we would understand it, we would know how to apply, uh, apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, let me read the scriptures. Let's, why don't we stand to read the word? We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Amen. Okay, God bless you. Amen. Thanks. Well, good morning. So that was pretty lame. I'll try again. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. You all get stars by your name. Uh, what Ray didn't say is that I've spent three years in prison as well. Uh, but that's a story for some other time. I'll fill you in on the details. 
Uh, so, I bring greetings from Abbotsford, BC. That's where I live now. Uh, we move, my family moved down from Prince George. I don't know how many know where Prince George is. Put your hand up if you have any idea where Prince George is. Oh, good. For those of you who don't, if you put an X through BC, Prince George is more or less the middle. Technically, it's Vanderhoof, but those of us from Prince George say it's actually Prince George. Um, so, my wife Jennifer and I have been married for almost 29 years. And we have two daughters. Uh, one, to, Emily, is 23 and Ashley is 21. And uh, we moved to Abbotsford in, our, in Emily's grade 12 year. So if you remember what you were experiencing in grade 12, uh, you may know that was maybe not the wisest move in terms of timing, uh, but it all worked out in the end. Uh, some of you probably here like family history, and I've kind of get into that a little bit. And what I've found fascinating as we've dug into it is that Jennifer's side of the family first uh, contacted Canadian soil in 1781 in New Brunswick, and my side of the family came about 100 years later in 1884. And, you, you know, that's a, ancestry and family trees are a rabbit hole you can just go down forever. Uh, but in order to help you get just a little bit picture of our family, I'm actually going to show you a picture of our family rather than bore you with all the details. Uh, so here is my, me and my kids and my weird wife. <laughs> so if you ever meet her, don't tell her I showed you this picture. Just say, oh, I saw a, a lovely picture of you, but don't actually say what it was because I will get in trouble. Uh, there's always got to be somebody in the family, right? I just happened to marry her. Um, again, don't tell her. Uh, so uh, I want you to, to think just for a minute, um, and I want you to think of the, well, I'll ask you a question just straight up. How many of you like playing board games? Okay, you're all weird. How many of you are like me and don't like playing board games? Should be everybody else. Exactly. So one of the worst things that I can hear, and if you're like me, you will relate to this completely, but one of the worst things I can hear in a social setting, you know, whether it's a Christmas party or a small group or whatever, is, okay, let's play a game. Uh, all I hear is, okay, let's exit the room, because uh, some of you relate, like 100% to what I'm saying. And so over the years, though, because uh, my family likes playing games, I've had to develop coping mechanisms, and so uh, I'm going to tell you about one of them. Just understand this is not a recommendation. Uh, it's just simply a description of, of what I do. And often in games, or when they start or whatever, I'm, I, I, and I try to get out of it, of course, but then inevitably you can't, and I have to be part of it. And then so my coping mechanism when the game starts is I start to find ways to cheat. And so now I don't affect the outcome of the game. I'm, I, I still have enough morals and ethics, whatever, to, you know, and I make sure that at the end of the game I always say, hey, I was cheating this way or whatever because maybe I have a guilty conscience. I don't know what it is. But I love having this kind of secondary thing happening, you know, where I'm trying to figure out how I can do this and do that and cheat and whatever. But what's fascinating is watching how my girls interact with this. So our oldest daughter... If she gets any sort of sense that I might be cheating, she loses her mind. And it's, Dad, you know the rules. Stop cheating. And she just watches me like a hawk for the rest of the game. And she is relentless. Like she will not even pay attention to what she's supposed to be doing, but she will be watching me so that I don't cheat. Some of you maybe have kids like that, or maybe you're like that. Uh, our youngest daughter, though, it's fascinating because she's the exact opposite. So if she gets a sense that Dad might be getting creative with the rules, uh, her first instinct is, how can I get on this? How can I play? Right? And so there's a kick under the table. There's a wink. There's something. And she wants to get in on the chaos. And she will actually sacrifice her ability to win the game just so she can cheat with me behind the scenes. Um, so you can imagine how family game times play out in, in our family. 
But why am I telling you this? Here's the reason why. I think for many followers of Jesus, we treat the Bible as the rule book for the game of life. But I think we need to ask the question, is that good? Is that bad? Is that complete? What actually is the relationship between the Word of God and the people of God? How is it supposed to work? Is it a rule book? Is it more than that? Is it something else? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, obviously, we have limited time together this morning, um, it just because of the nature of, of the way church works. Uh, Pastor Ray mentioned on May, or May, February 1st, there's the evening seminar that I'll be leading. Be, it'd be awesome if you all showed up for that. We'll dive deep into it. But on February 10th to 11th, I'm also teaching a course with the School of the Bible and Ministry, uh, Friday, Saturday, all about in, uh, the authority of Scripture, where it came from, its history, how to interpret it. Uh, I'd love to have you be a part of that, too, because we, we, we go hands-on and dive deep into these things. Uh, we have limited time uh, this morning to do that. So, um, yeah, a few questions, I guess, that are why, why I think this is so important. It's because there will be some of us in the room who will have this understanding of Scripture who will go, well, the Bible says it, and therefore it must be true, and therefore I must obey it. Why are we having this conversation? And then other people here will be going, whoa, 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 slow down a second there. Don't even begin to tell me that you think you know what authority is. And don't even begin to tell me what I should do with my life. I'll figure that out myself, thank you very much. And there's all kinds of opinions in between based on our personal experiences, uh, maybe the context that we grew up in, or maybe, if we're really honest with ourselves, our opinion about Scripture and authority is really based on nothing other than what we think the people around us think is the relationship between Scripture and authority and us. So I want to spend some time this morning kind of diving deep into this. Uh, to do that, there's three questions we need to ask, and they all fit together. And the first one is simply this. What is the purpose of the Bible? Like, why was it written in the first place? Like, where did it come from? Uh, what's its intent? Why do we even have this thing? And like, why would any of us even pay attention to it? So that's, that's a huge question. A second question is, what's it, or, sorry, is the Bible trustworthy? Okay, so we have a Bible. It exists. Why would I trust it? Like thousands of years have passed, different languages. Hasn't it been corrupted over time with multiple translations? Like, how, why would I actually want to trust this? What reasons would I possibly have? And then the third one, which I think is kind of the big question, almost like the, the so what question, is, well, what authority does it have? Because it says some things that are clear and, and comfortable, but it also says some things that are clear and uncomfortable. What am I supposed to do with that? Does the Bible actually have authority in my life, and how does that work? Now, normally when I talk about these three things, it's a full graduate course, and we have you know, probably 25 minutes left or whatever it is to go through here. So we're just going to be skimming the surface. Uh, so I really would encourage you, whether it's a seminar or the course or something else, to dive deeper and take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, but we're going to do what we can this morning to work through these three questions. To do this, though, um, what I want you to do is invite you in your imagination to leave whatever your work scenario is, school, home, whatever the things that are on your mind right now. Maybe something happened this morning or last week or something's going to happen this coming week that you're thinking about. If you can put that aside just for the next few minutes and let me uh, attempt to immerse you in the world from which the scriptures arose, 
we may be able to answer some of these questions a little more effectively. So if you can do that, that'd be great. So leave, uh, leave Willingdon, leave Burnaby, leave Canada, leave 2023, leave whatever it is and come back with me on this journey into the, the world of where the scriptures emerged from. I think we can, we can get a better experience that way. Now, to do that, uh, I think uh, it's helpful to look at the grand narrative of Scripture. And so that's a whole big piece, like how does it all fit together? But in a, in, a, in a nutshell, I would say this first scene number one would be when God created the world. Like his first recorded act was create the world, and God brought order out of chaos. The word chaos actually shows up in the first couple of verses of, of Genesis. And God brings order and beauty and structure and says that it's good and does all of that in those first few chapters. And, and it's a beautiful thing. But then almost right away, humanity goes, nope, we're doing our own thing. And they reject God and they bring chaos back into the world. Then very shortly after that, God goes, all right, well, I have a plan. And he starts working with someone called Abram, later to be known as Abraham, who became the, the father of a group of people eventually known as the Israelites. And God's plan was, I'm going to bring my salvation ultimately through this people group, but it's going to culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the, the big flow of, of picture. Uh, obviously, if you know the Bible at all, there's way more pieces. Uh, but in kind of the big flow, that's how it goes. But for today, I want us to think right near the beginning, after this people group was formed that became known as the Israelites. Now, you may remember a story, if you're familiar with the Bible, called the Exodus. So if you don't, it's when the people of Israel, uh, they had grown bigger, and they were uh, kind of like a sub-country inside of ancient Egypt, and they were an oppressed people group. They were getting persecuted. Uh, it was rough if you were an Israelite. And they call out to God, and God eventually says, okay, I'm coming to save you. And he brings them out. There's a whole massive story in the second book of the Bible that describes that. We're not going to get into that this morning. But one of the keys is that act of saving them was actually an incredible act of grace. Um, as a side note, sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament and New Testament are different gods. Totally untrue. Uh, the God of the Old Testament is just as gracious, gracious as the God of the New Testament because he's the exact same God. And the Exodus is this tremendous act of grace of saving the people through no merit of their own, but he saves them. After he saves them and they go through the Red Sea, God says, okay, now let me tell you how to live in response to what I just did. So obedience and law, all that kind of stuff, is a response to being saved, not a requirement to being saved, just like Jesus. And so this, this, those descriptions get played out, and they're, it's basically, how do I live loyally to God? And those scriptures are known as the law, or the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, depending on your familiarity. Essentially, they become known as scripture. So scripture is a, a description of what it means to live loyally to God in response to his grace. So let me read a couple of verses, or quite a few verses actually, out of uh, Deuteronomy 5 and 6. I'll have them on the screen. It's going to be a whole bunch of verses. By the time I'm done, you'll know exactly what the point is because it becomes incredibly clear, the repetition in these verses. Uh, so listen to what is said here. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Tell us whatever the Lord tells you, this is spoken to Moses, and we will listen and obey. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, 
uh, sorry, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I'm giving you to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. By keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and by so, sorry, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that he has given you. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Doesn't take a lot of unpacking to figure out what the theme is there, right? You put all that together and it's very clear uh, that the words of God and the person of God are meant to be integrated into the lives of the follower of God. Scripture was intended to be obeyed right from the very beginning. This is the description of how reality works, how the best life works. If you want to thrive the way that you were created to thrive, this is the way to do it. That's the way that Scripture describes it. Now, what's interesting, uh, if you're an astute reader of the Bible or familiar with history, you may have noticed that I skipped over some verses in the middle. Uh, Starting in verse 4, there's something called the Shema. It's one of the great creeds of both Judaism and Christianity. And I'm going to read that to you. Actually, if you have a, it'll be in the screen. But if you have a Bible, it's uh, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Let me read this to you, and you'll just see an amazing picture of what Scripture is and how it's to be integrated in all of life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Two quick things. Do you notice how all-pervasive it's supposed to be? It's, scripture is supposed to be everywhere, top of mind all the time. But did you notice that before there was even a description of what scriptures are, there was actually a note, a description of who is speaking. It starts with God. It's, here, it names who the person is that's speaking it. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but who says the words is what gives authority to the words. So think back to when you were a kid. Uh, maybe there was some mealtime, some mealtime, maybe lots of mealtimes, where you sat together as a family or whoever was happened to be around, and there was something on your plate that you had to eat that you didn't want to eat. Um, so imagine this scenario. I have an older brother. Uh, imagine my older brother would say to me, Mark, uh, eat your broccoli. Would I obey? No. I'd be like, Brent, eat your own broccoli, right? And I'd get some of my broccoli and throw it on his plate, and chaos would ensue, and you know how that would unfold. But if my mom were to say the exact same words, Mark, eat your broccoli, would I obey? I would. I mean, I'd probably complain and grumble under my breath or whatever, but I would obey and I would do it. Why? Because my mom had authority in my life. It makes a difference who says the words. We're going to come back to that. So we've got this text, uh, this foundational text, uh, and and it's 
and it's uh, meant to be all pervasive, and it's spoken from God, so it comes with the authority of God. But it might be tempting to say, well, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. Uh, That's a long time ago. Different language, different culture. How is that even relevant now? How is the Bible even relevant? Why would I actually even believe the Bible? Isn't it like a translation of a translation of a translation? Uh, How would that work? Well, again, this is a big conversation, and I'd love it if you joined me on either February 1st for that seminar or the 10th to 11th. This is a shameless plug for these courses, I know that, but where we can dive deep. But let me just quickly give you four evidences or four things that I would say, you know, these are key pieces for me to go, I'm willing to trust the Bible because these four things are true. And these are the four things. I'll put them on the screen. Number one, uh, I think that external evidence points to an historical book. Now, that's a big conversation, but just kind of quickly, uh, I'll summarize it by saying uh, most of us would be familiar with people like Plato or Aristotle or Tacitus, the Roman historian, and nobody would doubt their historicity or, or, the, or what they wrote or that they existed. But what's fascinating is when you look at the manuscript history, the oldest manuscripts are still a thousand years after those people lived. And there's maybe 10 or 15, depending on who the person is, uh, sometimes 20 manuscripts that exist in total. And nobody questions their historicity. When you go to the Old Testament or the First Testament, um, a lot of those manuscripts go back to within 150 years of the events in the characters, so way closer. And if you do New Testament, you can get some manuscripts that are within 50 years, so the same lifetime of the characters that are being described. And there's actually thousands of fragments and partial manuscripts and complete manuscripts. So this is a way bigger context, but, but the point uh, really quickly is that there is probably more um, historical evidence for the veracity of the, of the Bible than any other text or any other character from just based on the sheer wealth and number of manuscripts and their age. So we can have a high level of confidence that it is a historical book. The characters are historical because it, it actually is superior in a lot of ways to many ancient texts. The second, though, Oops. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. I'm a nerd. Here we are. Here's a picture of uh, one of those texts. It's called the Leningrad Codex. Uh, this is Exodus 15. So this is about uh, 1008 uh, AD, so rough, just over 1,000 years old. This particular one is. And in Hebrew, you go right to left. But if you look at the top, you see how the text kind of goes up and down and up and down. Uh, this is from Exodus 15. So all of our Bibles, no matter what language we're reading, uh, Chinese, English, Korean, Russian, they're all based on these manuscripts. Uh, This is a story of Exodus 15 where the people had gone through the Red Sea and Miriam was writing a song praising God about bringing them through the waves. How cool is it that these ancient texts, this one in particular, actually has the manuscript written as waves to do that. So not only are these things incredibly precise, uh, they're actually artistic. And so it's fun to dive deep into this stuff. Uh, We don't have time. We could spend all day doing this, actually. But the manuscript evidence is is phenomenal for the Bible. Second is uh, internal evidence points to a historic, or sorry, a reliable book. And by that, I mean it's it's significant that the descriptions that the Bible contains uh, are of Christians and followers of Jesus that are both positive and critical. That's significant because the the text, the authors, are not uh, presenting a sanitized version or a fake Instagram version. Like, you know how Instagram, you got your Instagram and then you have reality? Uh, 
reality is messy and complicated, and, but it's authentic. Instagram is fake and it looks really good. The New Testament and Old Testament writers present a picture of Christianity and the first followers of Jesus that is real. It's authentic. It's showing when they make mistakes and do dumb things. It's showing when they do good things. That adds to the authenticity of the text because it's not trying to present a false view. Um, so another item that's a reason that's, that's significant here too because of the age of the manuscripts, there's actually not enough time for those characters or the events to become mythical or legendary. It takes multiple generations after something for something to take on legendary or mythical status because if it's written within a lifetime of the people who knew the people, they're going, that's not what happened. They can contradict it, right? And so the, the proximity of the manuscripts to the events also uh, adds reliability or, or demonstrates the reliability. I know we're getting really nerdy here, but my point I'm trying to make is we can have a high level of confidence in this biblical text. Third is that uh, personal experience uh, points to a powerful book. Throughout history, followers of Jesus tell stories of how uh, they have encountered the living God through the living word and how it has changed them. And throughout history, people have been willing to be killed for the message of this book. So there's something also powerful and personal. Uh, It's not just another book with information. And then fourth is this. Uh, Jesus points to a divinely inspired book. Jesus calls it the word of God. He treats it as authoritative. When Jesus has to defend truth or define truth, he often goes back to scripture. Jesus has an incredibly high view of scripture himself. And that's, he actually bases his teaching uh, and his interactions with others on scripture. So again, we could dive more deeply into all this kind of stuff, but just a quick little picture uh, of um, why I would conclude the Bible is trustworthy. Now, if you remember a few minutes ago, I mentioned that uh, the person who speaks the words is what gives authority to the words. Hopefully you remember that. Um, And so I want to go back to that because if you fast forward now from the Old Testament, fast forward in history to just after Jesus, so Jesus, is, he's lived, he died, he's uh, resurrected, ascended back to heaven. The early church starts. And one of those church leaders named Paul is mentoring various church leaders. And one of them is named Timothy. And he's struggling with, man, this is actually hard to be a church leader. And Paul senses he needs to encourage him. So he writes a couple of letters. In one of those letters, Paul talks about, uh, you know what, Timothy, you need to remind yourself about what Scripture is. And I want to read that picture to you, what he says, because uh, it's very insightful into this whole conversation of, the, is the Bible trustworthy? Does it have authority? So if you have a Bible, turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. It'll be on the screen too, uh, and I'll read it to you. Um, and there's a lot we can unpack and explore here as well. There you go, starting in verse uh, number 12. Uh, of chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now we should just stop right there. Let that sink in. Paul is saying everybody who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. I don't like hearing that. You don't like hearing that. Isn't Christianity supposed to be the easy life? If anybody, uh, anybody who... Uh, where am I going? Well, off the page. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not our topic for today, but let those words sink in. 
If you want to follow Scripture, if you want to follow God, if you want to be faithful, if you want to live the full life that God describes, uh, the way that we were created to be, experience push, or expect pushback. But that's not today's topic. That's another topic for another time. While evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and we have become convinced of. Because you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow, that's a high view of Scripture, isn't it? Uh, Just two things to draw out from there. One, did you notice the phrase God breathed? That speaks to it origin, God inspired, God breathed, whatever language you want to use, whatever your translation is. It speaks to that scripture originated out of God. Um, and so not only does that give the scriptures divine authority in a sense, it also gives a key to actually understanding scripture because if they were breathed out by God, then it would make sense that God and his spirit is one of the keys to interpreting scripture well. Um, we'll explore that a little bit in the course too because uh, it's, it's important to not try to separate the words of God and the person of God. When we do that, things get all messed up. When we remember that the word of God and the person of God are inseparable, everything makes so much more sense and there's so much more power in the Christian life. Uh, so I would encourage you to, to keep those things together. Now, uh, Pastor Ray mentioned uh, that I've done a few ultra marathons in my life. It's fascinating when I think about that, because every race has a racer guide. If you've ever done any kind of trail running or, or ultra marathons kind of stuff, you know that anyways. And that rule, it's essentially the rule book for the race. And it says, here's the course, you know, here's the GPX file that you can put in your watch so you can follow it, don't go off the course. Uh, here are the cutoff times at each aid station, and if you fall behind that, you're going to get pulled off the course. Uh, here, you know, you can't have earbuds or you can't have earbuds. You can use trekking poles, you can't use trekking poles. All the rules are in that rule book. And every race has them. And you have to follow the rules if you want to do the race. But the rule book falls short in all kinds of areas. It doesn't tell you why you should do the race in the first place. It doesn't tell you what good strategy is or bad strategy is. It doesn't tell you what's going to happen when you hit the wall three quarters of the way through and you want to quit the race. If any of you have done long distance running, you know that feeling. And, and biggest of all, a rule book doesn't say, Here's, imagine this, imagine this experience, imagine this destination, imagine this feeling of, finishing, of crossing the finish line. The rule book doesn't tell you any of that. And I think that's one reason why simply seeing the Bible as the rule book for life falls short. Does the Bible contain rules that have to be followed? A hundred percent, unquestionably. But it's so much more. It describes life the way it is intended to be. It describes life the way that it works well. It describes reconciled humanity. It's an amazing picture of what reality is supposed to be like. It's not just rules. And to me, on a personal level, that's so important because if it's just, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, here's a rule book, all right, like it kind of sucks the life out of me, right? Because now here's a bunch of rules I have to follow. What's the point? But knowing that it originates from God, it's his picture of reality, it's actually our preferred future, oh, okay, I want to be a part of that. I want to actually align my life in that because I know the, the power that it has and the difference that it'll make. Uh, that, for me, that changes the whole picture of why I would read the Bible in the first place. So, uh, where does all of this take us? 
uh, what, am I, what are you supposed to do with all this? Well, let me just say a couple things first. Number one, there could be some people uh, here who are going, yeah, okay, nice message, Mark, blah, blah, blah. I don't care, uh, right? It doesn't, don't attempt to tell me what to believe. Uh, that's great for you, but I have my life all figured out. Um, if that's the case, if you really do think that you can manage your exhausted life on your own without God, I actually don't have anything to offer you. I really don't. Uh, but I would encourage you to keep on seeking out God. Uh, and even I'd ask, I have a favor to ask of you. Read Luke chapter 15 and see how much God loves you before you reject anything that he says. But there could be some of us in this room, and I'm assuming a bunch, who are going, okay, yeah, but how do I do that? Like, I get the scriptures have purpose and they're trustworthy and they have authority, but what am I supposed to do? Let me suggest five ways, uh, five different, I'm not going to call them steps because that's too programmatic, but five things for us to consider uh, to help the Word of God become living and active and powerful in our lives. Uh, and so all five of these may resonate, resonate with you. Maybe just one does. Uh, but here's the question for me. Uh, it, you know, really, it's this vision of for me to be a follower of God who experiences the beauty and the power of God, let me suggest these five things. Maybe I have to look at my life and go, you know what? I need to know the Bible. I don't actually know the content. Here I'm meaning don't, I would love to write a book one day called Don't Read a Verse of the Bible. There's nothing worse than reading a verse of the Bible. Read big chunks. Read the chapter. Uh, read the whole book. Read the whole half of the Bible, whatever it is. Read big chunks. Do you and I know the content of the Bible? Have we actually read it ourselves? I think sometimes we, have opin- we form opinions. We haven't read it. We've maybe read our same favorite section over and over. But have you read the whole scriptures? Have you read from beginning to end? I wouldn't say do it in that order, Uh, do it thematically, not necessarily beginning to end, but have you read the whole thing to see what it really says about sexuality, about the environment, about finances, about relationships? Immerse yourself in Scripture. Um, Take a course on reading the Bible. Uh, Join a small group Bible study. Do whatever it takes, but do you know the Bible? Do you actually know the content of the Bible? Second is this, I need to believe the Bible. So it's not a question of awareness, do I know what the Bible says, but do I believe the Bible? Now sometimes we can struggle with this and I can struggle with this and I go, uh, I don't really want to believe that because that's actually really uncomfortable, right? It's making me uncomfortable, it's making my relationships uncomfortable, I know it's what it says, but I don't want to believe that, that can't be right. Or other times we go, I want to believe it, but I just have these questions, where do I answer, where do I, where do I wrestle with this? And so, so for some of us here, that may be the next step on your journey, is maybe getting, a, uh, taking, again, a Bible class, or finding a mentor, or somebody, a pastor, or a small group leader, who you can say, hey, can you actually help me work through how to believe this? Because it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to believe it. The third step is this, or no, again, not step, but whatever, is I need to submit to the Bible. Now, if I'm honest, I don't like this one. You probably don't like this one. I don't like to submit to anything. You probably don't like to submit to anything. So if you don't like the word submit, throw out the word submit, put follow, obey. It doesn't really matter what the word is. It's the attitude and the action and the posture. If Scripture really does come from God himself, if it really does come with that authority and that voice, then it would make sense for me to have it be authoritative in my life and to go, okay, if God is saying this, this is going to sound cheesy, God knows more than me, so I'm going to obey God. 
It's more complex than that, but it can be maybe that simple. So maybe your next step is to submit to it. Fourth, uh, maybe it's wisdom to know how to live it out. The Bible says some hard things and some confusing things. Uh, how do I actually play that out in 2023 in you know, the lower mainland in BC, in Canada? How do I, what does that mean? So again, small groups can be really, really good uh, with that. Uh, and you're going to see me, well, I'm going to wrap this up with one little suggestion at the end and they all kind of point in the same direction. But maybe the challenge that you and I have is wisdom. Okay, I know what it says. I believe what it says. I want to submit to what it says, but I don't actually know what to do with that. How do I play that out? Or maybe it's this last one, uh, which is simply, I need courage to act. It's not a question of, do I know it or not? Do I believe it or not? I need courage to actually do what this says or to stop doing what it says to stop doing. I don't know which one is yours, but I encourage you to think about that and name it uh, and say, you know, right now in this time in my life, it's probably this one. This is where I'm at. Uh, If I'm candid for me, it's courage. Uh, nine times out of ten, I know what the Bible says. I know what I'm supposed to do, <laughs> right? And I know, what, I know how to do it. Oh, boy, but if I actually do that, uh, that puts me in an awkward position. It's going to make maybe jeopardize a friendship or a relationship, or it's gonna, people are going to uh, assume an, uh, something about me and accuse me of something. So do I have the courage to do it? For me, the courage is the big one. But here's my invitation. Whatever those five are, it is. Uh, take a second in your mind and think, who is it that you could ask to help you on that journey in 2023? Uh, maybe it's someone sitting right next to you. Maybe it's a family member, a mentor, a pastor, whoever it is, a small group leader. And I would actually encourage you right now, even while I'm talking, get out your phone, send them a text message. Hey, would you want to go on a journey with me in 2023 about the Bible? Um, or write their name down, because if you're anything like me, you're going to know in your head right now And then you're going to leave here in about 10 minutes and you're going to completely forget about it and not pick it up ever again. So I would encourage you to do that uh, right now. Now, before I uh, um, close in prayer, because I want to pray for us, I get the significance of everything we're talking about, I actually have a request for you. And so every Monday morning, I sit at my computer wherever I happen to be uh, in the world, and I type out a really short prayer email update that goes to people all across North America. It's really short and has maybe four or five things. I'm saying, hey, can you pray for this seminary because we're working through this? Can you pray for me because I have this kind of meeting coming up or I'm preparing to do whatever? And it's really, it's point form, it's short, and I actually am asking people across North America to pray for me, to pray for the seminary in these days. And I'll put my email address on the screen there. Uh, I don't use your email for anything else. Like literally no one else gets your email address other than me. I don't do anything else with it. But if you would be willing to pray for the seminary, send me an email and just say, hey, Mark, can you put me on your prayer list? Uh, Back at the resource center or the prayer, I can't remember which one, one of those two, there's pieces of paper that you can put your name uh, and your email address. I would love to have you join me in prayer every Monday morning. I literally don't use it for anything else, so there's no risk. You just get weekly emails from me saying, please pray. Um, I would love that. So let me pray for you. After I pray, there's going to be some reflection questions on the screen about how to integrate all of this stuff in life, and I'd encourage you to work those through. Um, but let me pray for you and pray for this church uh, as we strive to embrace the authority of Scripture in this complex world that we live in today. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much that you have given us the Scriptures that you actually had your thoughts, your words, your values 
uh, captured in written form that we can have in front of us and read and study and discuss and obey. It's such a gift. We don't have to guess what you think. We actually know because of the scriptures. And I thank you for that gift. And I ask that you give us the courage that we need to read and believe and follow and act out what you've called us to do in Scripture. Uh, That can be hard at times, God, but it changes everything. So regardless of where each one of us are at today, uh, God, I ask that through your Spirit, you give us the, the power and the discipline and the humility to take that next step with you. And I pray for this church in particular. I pray for Willingdon as it shines as a bright light in this community um, that it won't shine the light of Willingdon Church, but it'll shine the light of Jesus and truth and transformation. Uh, so give this church courage and wisdom uh, to represent well you well in this world and in this community. So again, God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.